Welcome to the Oceans Church Podcast. We pray that as you join us for this message, you are blessed, encouraged and empowered to bring the kingdom of heaven into your spheres of life. Father, we're so grateful to you tonight for this privilege that it is to call this church our home. And so I pray from the front to the back and left to the right, Lord God, that not a single one of us will leave today without having had an encounter with you that's deeply personal. We haven't come tonight to listen to the opinion of man or just man's words, but we've come to encounter you, Jesus. And so we set aside the kind of day that we've had. And in the moment, we want to be present with you because your presence fills this room. And so I pray that you'll honor every hand that's lifted. Father God, as unique as the fingerprints on these hands are, we commit the uniqueness of our lives to you. All our gifts, our talents, our concerns, our fears, our stuff, our baggage, our triumphs, our victories, it's all yours. And tonight we just say that it's all about you. Holy Spirit, as we launch these three weeks of acknowledging you, Holy Spirit, we just invite you afresh to come and do as you please tonight in this church for all its days in, in Jesus' name. And everyone shout. Come on, let's give a mighty ocean's roar for the King of Kings. So good. High five, two people. Grab your seat. Hey, I really do want to honor your pastors, Chafin and Jess. Give them a big hand. Incredible leaders. Je- Jess and I do go back a really long way. Jess was, uh, she, she took a, a, a massive chance and decided to come to a church plant with Chrissy and I back in the day. Remember those, those days, those living rooms with, at the Fuller's house and like, Annie Gwen's house and Willie and Cindy's house and Mike and Margaret's house. We started in living rooms and, uh, you know, poor old Jess, she had to, to listen to me learn to preach for the first three to four years of church. It was horrible. I look back at all those sermons. I don't know why you put up with it, but you did. And so it's 20 years next year, Nations Church. And so uh, God has been very kind to us. I also want to really honor Pastor Norman Bev. We're real heroes of the faith. We love you guys really so much for all that you've done um, in our state movement and also the, the, the church in Albany and, and the wider body of Christ here in WA. We love you guys and you are our heroes. And so it's a great privilege for me to be here and, and to speak with you guys. The last time I was here was before the pandemic, I think, um, at a place in North Perth at a Seventh-day Adventist Hall or something like that. Look how far you've come. I don't know if you guys came up from Albany. Just give me a big wave you came up from Albany. Um, I won't be angry if you guys fall asleep. Because it is a long drive, and here you are, 4 p.m. in the afternoon. But I've got a word from God for you today. Is that okay? I really pray that the Holy Spirit will move and will really uh, just just speak to you. Now, I'm going to do my best to read this text in this dim light because I'm an old man. Mark chapter 5, it says this. It should be on the screen somewhere. It says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around Him while He was by the lake, Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed. Say, she will be healed. Say, she will be healed. And live. Say, and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. And she spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I were just to touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped 
and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Yet the people crowding, you see the people crowding against you, the disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came, fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Can we give Jesus a big shout of praise for the incredible text? Thank you so much, Jezume. Today I want to speak to you on the thought, what do you believe about him? What do you believe about him. How many of you tonight profess to believe in Jesus? Well, do you know that the Holy Spirit's a big part of that salvific work, that he was the one that convicted you of, of the life that you're living and reconciled and restored you back to God, your heavenly Father. And so tonight, if you believe in Jesus, you can be assured of your eternal salvation. You can be assured of, assured of where you're going to go should your life end tonight. There's no doubt about that. And the Holy Spirit's the one that's continuously confirming that belief in you. Makes sense to you? But how many of you know there is a difference between believing in Jesus and believing rightly about Him? It's one thing to believe in Jesus that assures you of your eternal salvation, of where you're going to go should your life end in this temporal life of yours here on the earth, versus a right belief about Him. Can I suggest and submit to you tonight that what you believe about God will already predetermine your experience of your Christianity right here and now before you enter into eternity. Because all relationships are based on what you believe about a person. Isn't that right? If you were to come up right now, pat me on the shoulder, you will believe surely that I'm a real person. You're going to believe in the fact that I'm a real guy. Make sense to you? But what you believe about me right now is already predetermined whether you're vaguing out, scrolling through Facebook, you know what I mean? Ignoring anything I've got to say or you're leaning in to pay attention. All human relationships are based on what you believe about a person. So can I suggest to you tonight that what you believe about God has already predetermined your experience of Him. Don't get quiet on me. Come on now, Oceans. I know half of y'all just drove like five hours to be here. And so tonight, I want to just stir in your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to come to work in you about what you believe about Him. Here in this account in Mark chapter 5, we see two people, both on different ends of society's spectrum, if you like. The first is Jairus. He's the leader of the synagogue. The Bible tells us that his daughter is ill to the point of death. How many of you are parents here in the room? I'm a parent. Would you not agree with me that it would take a lot for a parent to leave their child, their dying child's bedside to go meet a random carpenter on the other side of town. Now, if I had a dying child, it would, there was no way I'd leave him. But the Bible says that Jairus leaves his daughter, his dying daughter's bedside and goes to find Jesus. So what he does tells us that Jairus believed in Jesus, but what he says next exposes what he believed about Jesus because it says, Jesus, 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 if you come home with me, lay hands on my daughter. We read it. She will be healed and she will live. Oh man, I want to be part of a generation of believers that don't just believe in Jesus, but we believe rightly in Him. Imagine how much we can change Albany and Perth by simply believing rightly about Him. On the other side of society's spectrum, we see in this account in Mark chapter 5, a woman, she's unnamed. We don't know who she is. 
But the Bible tells us that she suffers from a condition of 12 years of bleeding menstrually. So if you understand context, the first century Middle East, a woman like that would have been considered unclean. You follow me so far? So she would have been rejected by society. She would not have been able to work. Integrating into normal society would have been untenable for her. Let's call it that. And so, you know, we've been in a pandemic and, and we've been through, you know, two and a half sort of hard sort of years. We had sort of snap lockdowns and all of that. But I promise you, this woman's been 12 years in self-quarantine and isolation. Her skin wouldn't have seen sunlight for over a decade. Until this one day, she hears the Jewish woman on the inside of her would have heard the crowd crying out, Yeshua, Yeshua, Jesus, Jesus. And she would have thought, oh, could this be the Messiah? But she would have, even though the Jewish woman on the inside of her believed in Jesus, there, there would have been a self-conscious broken woman on the inside of her that would have said, shut up, stay in the house. No one wants to see you. So she would have thought, she would have thought about things like, I don't even know what to wear to manage the bleed if I were to go out of the house. It's been that long. She would have thought to herself, I don't even know how to brush my hair to go out in public. It's been that long, 12 years. For me, it's about 18 years, but that's a whole different story altogether. Hello to all the follically challenged brothers in the house. Hello. Awesome. And yet, the Bible tells us that she leaves her home to go find Jesus. So what she does tells us that she believed in Jesus, but what she says next exposes what she believed about him because she said, if only I could just push through the crowd, touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Oh, come on, Ocean Church. I don't know if you're catching this today. What you believe about Jesus matters. What you believe about him so profoundly is going to predetermine your experience of Jesus right now. So there are some learnings about this text in Mark chapter 5 that I want to go through with you today. Is that okay? So the first learning is this, that what you believe about him will determine the conclusions you jump to, particularly when your life hits the wall or some kind of crisis comes at you. The account in, uh, in, in, in uh, Mark chapter 4 is an incredible account of Jesus calling his disciples to come into the boat with him. And some of you might know the story. He says, boys, let's get in the boat. We're going to sail across to the other side of the lake. While they're sailing to the other side of the lake, the Bible tells us that a storm beats into the boat and water uh, comes into the boat. The disciples completely freak out because Jesus is sleeping inside the boat. How many of you ever felt that Jesus is sleeping through your storm? Well, the disciples felt that way that day. And they wake Jesus up. So what they do tells us that they believe in Jesus, that he's got power, that he's a savior. But what they say next exposes what they believe about him because they woke Jesus up and say, Jesus, 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 wake up. And then they said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? See, what you believe about God will determine the conclusions you jump to, particularly when you're in a storm. I want to suggest to you today, friend, that how the story ends for you in your head when your life hits the wall is already been predetermined by what you believe about Him now. I don't know about you, but as Christians, we are the worst at catastrophizing stuff when, we, when, when stuff goes on. How many of you, like, you've, had, you've heard bad news or, or maybe something's happened to you, right? And, and, and the next thing you do is you allow your head to go in a million different directions as to how this is going to play out. Come on, am I the only person? Yeah, four of you. The rest of you guys, liars here at Ocean's Church. Come on now. But what you believe about God has already predetermined the conclusions you jump to when stuff happens in your life. 
Now, I've been a pastor for almost 20 years now, and I don't counsel people much, but, you know, as part of pastoring, we kind of sit with people. Most of the time, when we sit with someone through their difficult time, it's not what's happened to them that is driving them crazy or keeping them up at night or causing them anxiety and stress. It's what they think will happen to them because of what is happening to them. How many of you know that it's not the thing that you're going through right now that is, is sending you out of your mind? It's what you think will happen to you because of what is happening to you. It's not the relationship breakup that's causing you all that stress and anxiety. It's what you think will happen to you because of the relationship breakup. It's not the retrenchment letter that's sending you out of your mind. It's what you think will happen to you because you're going to get retrenched in six months' time. Come on, etc. So what you believe about him is already predetermined has already predetermined the conclusions you're going to jump to. My suggestion to you today is that when the world looks to the church in tough times, we're going to be the ones that align our conclusions with what the Bible... Come on now, somebody. Have you written endings to your stories that Jesus never wrote for you? Because in Mark chapter 4, Jesus actually said to the disciples, we're going to sail to the other side. Mid-journey, a storm brews, beats against the boat. They changed the ending that Jesus, oh, come on now, somebody. Have you read the back of our book, We Win? Oh, come on, somebody. Have you read how it ends for you? Jesus says, I'm the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. Have you read the book? He says, all things work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to their purpose. What kind of endings are you writing to your thing that you're going through right now? That's already been predetermined by what you believe about Him. So tonight, the Holy Spirit's going to shift what you believe about Him for you to believe rightly about Him once again. Come on now, somebody. Jairus wrote an ending. He wrote an ending that was aligned with who Jesus is. Say, Jesus, 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 if you come back with me, you lay hands on my daughter, she will be healed and she will live. The woman with the 12-year menstrual bleed, she says, Jesus, Jesus, if I can just touch the hem or the edge of your garment, you don't even need to turn around. I will be healed. Oh man, I want to hang out with some people tonight that are going to believe rightly about Jesus. Because you can have two different believers going through the same storm, jumping to two different conclusions based on what they believe about Jesus. Because two chapters after Mark chapter 4, Jesus <coughs> says to his disciples, <coughs> excuse me, get in the boat, we're going to sail to the other side again. Right? Just a bit of a side note, if Jesus ever asks you to go in the boat, please don't go with him because something bad's going to happen. <laughs> Only this time Jesus decides, I'm going to play the most biggest practical joke, biggest prank ever. I'm not going to get in the boat with him. I'm going to tell the boys I'm going to be up in the hill praying, only I'm not. They're sailing on the boat by themselves this time, two chapters later, without Jesus in the boat, right? And the storm comes again. They freak out. Jesus thought, I am going to punk my boys. I'm going to walk on water towards them. They freak out. 11 out of 12 disciples thought, oh my gosh, it's a ghost. We're all going to die. That's the conclusion they jumped to. One out of the 12 disciples says, that's you, isn't it, Jesus? Call me out on the water because I want to step out and walk with you. When I think about what the world needs, I promise you, the world needs disciples that will conclude rightly about Jesus. Come on, somebody give Jesus a big shout of praise tonight. You know, in the first storm, in the first storm, 
when they woke Jesus up, he was sleeping. They said, Jesus, 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 don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus turns to them and says, where is your faith? He wasn't referring to their belief in him. He was referring to their right belief about him. Where is your faith? What was Jesus saying? Jesus saying, essentially, in life, storms are inevitable, but fear is optional. Have you ever thought of the fact that the practical definition on paper for both fear and faith is exactly the same thing? Some of you are going, what is he preaching? Do you know that fear and faith have exactly the same definition? Fear, by definition, is this. I believe that something that hasn't happened yet is going to happen. Faith says, I believe that something that hasn't happened yet is going to happen. Which side of the conclusion you jump to all depends on your right belief in Jesus. Come on, somebody give Jesus a big shout of praise. Second learning. Second learning here in Mark chapter 5 is what you believe about him will determine... (laughs) What you believe about him will determine the response you give. How you respond when someone else gets the miracle that you need. How many of you heard of the term triage? Triage is used all over every, the world today, every emergency department in the world. Triage is essentially the assignment of degrees of urgency to wounds, injuries, and illnesses to decide the priority of treatment. Here, if you go to emergency department anywhere, Fiona Stanley, Royal Perth, anywhere with a broken collarbone, here are two Panadol, 55,000 forms to fill in, sit there, wait in the corner for 12 hours. Brain injury, straight in, don't fill in any forms. That's triage, right? Catch this, Mark chapter 5. Here is Jairus. His daughter is ill to the point of death. She is dying. She's probably within hours of her life. He goes, finds Jesus, says, Jesus, Jesus, this is the situation. You need to come back to my house. She's dying. The disciples hear the whole story. They go, absolutely, Jesus. Let's go. Priority number one, triage. Let's get to Jairus' house. But how many of you know Jesus doesn't work according to our worldly principles? Because while he's walking to Jairus' house, Jesus is so extra. He said, hold up, boys. I feel powerly from me. Let's just stop for a minute. Let's talk about it. The disciples are stressing out, going, Jesus, what are you doing? Seriously. Now, if I was Jairus, I would be ticked off. Would you not? Firstly, I'm a religious leader of the synagogue. I'm a high-ranking official. And if there's any time I'm going to pull rank, it's right now because you've stopped to engage with an unclean woman. And Jesus, just in case you haven't noticed, there is a difference between terminal and chronic. One takes precedence over another. I need your breakthrough now more than that person. How many have ever been in a situation where you've been believing God for something? You've held out and you've been believing God for something and it's been a really long time and it feels like everybody else has been getting their miracle before you. Come on. Four or five of you. The rest of you guys, God answers your prayer straight away. How many of you feel like you're, like, like literally, God, I'm, I've been holding out, I've been believing for this. And it's not just that other people are getting their miracle, they're getting the very miracle you're waiting for for yourself. Now, how you respond when someone else gets the miracle you need is dependent on what you believe about him because the Bible does not record Jairus jumping up and down, screaming at Jesus, pulling rank. 
The Bible records Jairus as being completely silent. Why? Because I think the same belief that he had when he left his daughter's bedside to say to Jesus, 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 come back to my house. Lay your hands on my daughter. She will be healed and she will live. It's the same belief he held on to about Jesus. Now, while Jesus has stopped and being interrupted and seemingly giving the miracle that he's needing for his daughter to this random woman that stopped him to touch the hem of his garment. I'm wondering if you're here today and maybe you're believing you're six months unemployed and you've given and, and sent in application after application and you've written all those resumes and all those things and you're still waiting. God, I'm, just, I'm still waiting for a job. It's my, in my sixth, I'm turning into my seventh month and you know, getting job seeker allowance. I need a job. And then Johnny come lately, two days into, two weeks in a Ocean's Church, bang, gets two job promotions. Come on now. Hello. Maybe you're here and you're saying, God, I, I, I'm really, I'm believing for a life partner. God, it's been many years and, and maybe you, you just, just feel like you're ready to take on the next stage in your life and get married and have children. You feel like time is, is really, you know, passing you by and all these sort of things. Next minute, Shani Kwikwi walks in through the church doors, all 19 years old, short skirt, the whole thing, getting engaged. How you respond when someone else gets the breakthrough that you need has already been predetermined by what you believe about him. Some of you don't know our story, but we have two boys. I have a 19-year-old. His name is Jensen, and uh, he's doing first year of uni. He's doing law and commerce. I'm an amazing kid. We love him. Our youngest boy, Isaiah, is 17. Isaiah was born with a rare genetic syndrome called Morwood Wilson syndrome. So it means that Chrissy and I raise a disabled boy. And I uh, have been for 17 years. And I remember when Isaiah was diagnosed with this rare genetic syndrome. You haven't heard of it because he's probably one of about 1,000 in the world to have it. He's nonverbal. Uh, he's got fine gross motor skill delay, intellectual disability, the whole thing. And so my wife and I and, and Jensen sometimes feel like we're full-time carers of a six-foot-two giant child who's just – people tell Isaiah he's got special needs. In Isaiah's head, he's just special. He's just a beautiful kid. If he was here, he'd be your best mate. You know, he'd high-five you and you'd love him. Um, <clears throat> but in the, in, in the first couple of years, um, we got Isaiah dedicated. And uh, as you do when you're dedicating your children, for those of you that know what it's like, our churches dedicate babies. And, you know, you, you have these dreams for your kid that one day, you know, I had a dream. I had lots of dreams for Isaiah. I dreamt that one day, you know, I would be filming Isaiah's first speech at a school assembly, that he would be, you know, winning this ribbon or he'd be champion boy of this. Or maybe he'd be a fantastic footy player and soccer player. And maybe, you know, he would, he would be on the debating team or maybe he'd, top in his math class and maybe he'd be a fantastic musician and play the piano great one day because I'm an Asian and all our kids play the piano. <laughs> but over the years, Isaiah hasn't met a single one of those aspirations. And uh, I'm feeling emotional talking about it because as a, even as a church pastor, we, we dedicated hundreds, must be hundreds of children through the years. We've celebrated all their achievements on Facebook. You know, this kid's grown up and, you know, they're champion boy of this and won that 100-meter race and, you know, ducks of the school there. And there have been seasons where I, Chrissy and I have asked, God, when is it going to be our turn? When, when is it going to be our turn? Because, you know, we're church pastors. Triage, meet our need first, would you? That would be great. And I've often asked God, you know, have you overlooked us? Have you stopped for everybody else when I've got a more urgent need than yours? And the Holy Spirit keeps reminding me, Ken, hold on. 
to your right belief about me because your time will come in my time, says the Lord. And if you're here today and you're waiting for God to come through for you and it seems like everybody else is getting the breakthrough and the miracle that you need, the kind of answer prayers that you're believing for, and you're saying, God, I'm so close to giving up on you. I want to suggest to you today that your time is going to come in His time because He says all things work together for good for those who love me and are called according to my purpose. Now, I have never had a conversation with my own son He's never been able to tell me the kind of day that he's had. I don't know what's locked up on the inside of him because he's nonverbal, but I promise you, this is what I believe about my Jesus. I'm going to have a conversation with my son one day. If not in this life, it's going to be in the next. Somebody shout amen. I refuse to reduce what I believe about God down to my unanswered prayer experience. Maybe you're here tonight and there's been unanswered prayer. Maybe you're holding out for God to come through for you, saying, God, I'm so close to walking away. I want to suggest, I want to speak prophetically. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you tonight. Hold on to all of the things that you've always believed about God. Because if you're still alive, if you're not dead, God's not done with you yet. Come on, somebody shout amen. Got that one for free. Oh, man, your time is going to come in His time you know sometimes we look at our own lives and we go God when is it going to be us when is it going to be our time for breakthrough nothing tests what you believe about God more than the fires of comparison you know the one I mean when you're the last single person in your friendship group everyone else is married moved on got kids when you're the only child of your siblings that is not doing so good in life in your marriage and everyone else seems to be playing happy families. When the only one in your friendship group that continues to be unemployed, when you're the only one out of all the people you know that is dealing with that health condition that you're dealing come on. Nothing like the fires of comparison to test what you believe about God. And if you're here tonight, the Holy Spirit wants you to know that the things that you've held on to in years gone by about a God who knows all about your situation and all about your circumstance, I want you tonight to have the faith of Jairus. That even in the midst of delay, even in the midst where Jesus seems to be going so extra, it's like, what the heck, God, come on now. Move along now. Come back to my house. I want you to hold on and have the faith of Jairus tonight because he is not done with you yet. Come on, give Jesus a big shout of praise. There's an account in the Old Testament of 1 Samuel chapter 1 of a lady by the name of Hannah. How many of you have heard of Hannah? You guys doing all right tonight? I'm preaching myself happy tonight. Is that okay? 1 Samuel chapter 1 tells of a woman by the name of Hannah. Hannah is a legend. She's a legend. I don't know if you know the story of Hannah. Hannah had always believed that she'd always had a sense that she was going to be a mum. It was part of her, her, her known destiny in God. She had a conviction that, God, you're going you're gonna to cause me to bear destiny on the earth. And so I'm going to bear a child. And yet, month after month after month, year after year after, you can imagine her coming out of the, the bathroom saying to her husband, Elkanah, I'm sorry, we're not pregnant again. I'm sorry, we're not pregnant again. To make matters worse, her husband Elkanah marries a second wife by the name of Panina. Now, Panina was a piece of work. <laughs> to make matters worse, Panina was pumping out babies like a rabbit. I reckon every year her own pastor was sick of dedicating her babies. Oh my God, Panina's got another child. Oh my gosh, another baby dedication. Panina's kid. 
To make matters worse, Penina would mock Hannah every month. And every year, she would, Hannah would go up to the, to, the, to the temple to pray. And Penina would mock her, you're useless. You bring nothing to the family. I'm the one that's producing the children. And yet Hannah holds on to a belief about God. Until her time came in his time where she conceived, gave birth, brings on the earth a baby whom she names Samuel, who would become one of Israel's greatest prophets that would one day anoint Israel's greatest king called David. Your time is going to come in his time. Hold on to a right belief about Jesus. Somebody shout amen. You know, sometimes when it comes to delays, we're looking for instant, but God's looking for persistent. Just remember that. We're looking for instant, but God's looking for persistent. He's not an instantly God, but he is a suddenly God. And things could change suddenly. It might not be instantly, but it could come suddenly. Can we keep reading? All right, I need to keep moving. Mark chapter 5, let's read. Reading from verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking. So here is, here is <clears throat> Jairus, he's waiting for Jesus to come along. And Jesus engages with this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And, and while Jesus is finishing up the conversation, Dora, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffer. He gets interrupted. Right? He gets interrupted by some people that came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they said this, your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. Jump down to verse 40. After he had put them all out, in other words, he gets to Jairus' house, chucks all of the mourners out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Final learning tonight is this. What you believe about him will determine how you respond when people tell you there is no hope. How many of you have ever been told there is no hope? No one ever comes back from that kind of addiction. No one's ever truly been set free from that kind of anxiety and depression. No one, no one comes back from that kind of sinful, wayward living. Your son's too far gone. That relationship is beyond repair. <sighs> Stop kidding yourself. Jairus, your daughter is dead. I don't know how many times people have given me the Jairus, your daughter is dead conversation about my son. I don't know how many times people say, yeah, I reckon, I reckon bad. We have like this morbid fascination with bad news, don't you reckon? I reckon bad news travels far faster than good news. I reckon we, we're like, you know, if you give, tell someone a bit of juicy bad news about something that happened to someone, man, it spreads like wildfire, right? There's something very broken about our psyche that wants to glorify. Jairus, your daughter is dead. I've got a, a staff member who used to, you know, like being like a pastor on a Sunday, I'm a West Coast Eagles supporter, so it's been a really tough year for me. But because most of our Eagles games are on a Sunday, I can't watch the Eagles games, right? So I have to wait till I get home at the end of our mini services that we have, the end of the day, to watch the Eagles game, right? Now, I don't necessarily want to know the score, right? But I've got this one staff member that has always taken delight in telling me after, like, the 11 a.m. service, PK, you lost! <laughs> so, bro, what is wrong with you, man? Needless to say, it doesn't work for me anymore, but it's a whole different story altogether. <laughs> just joking, just joking. 
Bad news travels quicker than good news. Jairus, your daughter is dead. I want to say this to you today. What you believe about him will determine how you respond when people tell you there is no hope. Because I'm here to tell you that this, is, this was Jesus' response. They interrupt Jesus. Daughter, your, your, your faith has made you well. Go and suffer no more. As he's finishing, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Bother, bother the teacher no more. To which Jesus doesn't even dignify the haters. He turns to Jairus and says, don't you be afraid. Only believe. What does that mean? Don't. Storms are inev- inevitable. Fear is optional. Remember that? Don't be afraid, only believe rightly about me. The same belief that you had when you left your daughter's bedside to say, Jesus, 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 come back, lay hands on my daughter, she will be healed and she will live. The same belief that you held on to in the interruption when I stopped for this woman is the same belief you hold on to right now when people tell you your daughter's dead. Because I tell you what, as we read this account, you got to understand the haters didn't have the final say. Jesus did. He says, you, the haters say that your daughter's dead. I say that she's sleeping. When people tell you there is no hope, you've got to understand that the cross has the final say. Listen, this Holy Spirit is here tonight, and there's somebody going through something, I feel prophetically right now, and you've almost conceded that this is how it's always going to be. It'll never get any better. I'm just going to hang out, wait till I die, go to heaven. I want to suggest to you today, the cross has the final say. Don't you let go of what you believe about Jesus. He, he's the alpha, he's the omega, he's the beginning and the end. And if you're right, in the middle right now, the story is not over. People have told you, the Jairus, your daughter, is dead conversation. But Jesus has the final say. He gets all the haters out. Get out, get out, get out, get out, get out! Mom and dad, Peter, James, and John, you and I are going to stand around this little girl. And I say, she ain't dead. She's just asleep. Can we give Jesus a big shout of praise? What you believe about him matters. Musicians, you can, you can join me. And I feel the atmosphere shifting. Just close your eyes quickly. Bow your heads quickly. Wonderful, wonderful. This is what I want you to do with every head bowed, every eye closed. You need to know that the Holy Spirit is now at work in you. If you're here tonight, what you believe about God matters. But the first step is that you believe in Him. What is there to believe in Jesus? Well, you need to believe That he is the one that died and rose again for you to reconcile and restore you into relationship with your heavenly father. Jesus is God himself. That's why he could do it. And so tonight, I want you to consider the state of your heart. If you feel like you are far from God, or you don't know whether you believe in God, the only way is to put your faith and trust in Jesus. To ask him to forgive you of all that you've done and turn your life around. I'm going to count to three. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to want you to respect this moment of the person on your left and on your right. I'm going to pray with you right where you're sitting. If you're saying, yeah, that's me. I want to believe in Jesus. Or I want to recommit my life to Him. Tonight's an extension of an invitation to you. There's no judgment here, no condemnation, only love. Deep love. Unconditional acceptance, come as you are. Maybe here tonight, you must be so tired of doing this life on your own, trying to figure it out. But tonight, you need to know the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart. He's at work, drawing you deeper to Him, into relationship with Him. So tonight, on the count of three, that's you. Slip your hand up so I can see who you are. One, two, 
three, is that you? Put your hand up so I can see. I see that hand over there. Awesome. Anybody else? I see that hand over there. Awesome. Beautiful. I see a third hand over there. Fantastic. Wonderful. Can we give Jesus a big shout of praise for those hands? It's wonderful. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet right across this room? Stand to your feet. Just keep your head bowed. Eyes closed. Please repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that you died and you rose again for me. Lord Jesus, I repent of all of my sins and please wipe away all of my past. And tonight, I invite you into my life as my personal Lord and Savior. In your name I pray. And everyone said, let's give Jesus a big shout of praise tonight. So good. Listen, if you put your hand up, pray that prayer, you really meant it. Or maybe you didn't put your hand up, but you prayed that prayer and you really meant it. Please see one of your leaders. And uh, we've had a couple of leaders that helped me see you. So they're probably going to come up to you and chat with you, pray with you. But don't do this Christian life on your own. You're in family here. Amen. Amen. Oh, God's so good. Who's ready for God to move? Who's ready for the Holy Spirit to recalibrate what you believe about Him? Just close your eyes for a minute. There's people here tonight and maybe you found yourself of late, you're catastrophizing things that are going on. You're jumping to conclusions that Jesus never wrote for your story. It has exposed what you believe about God. Maybe you believe in Jesus, but you don't really believe that He's got your back. You don't really believe that He's got power to come through for you. You don't really believe that He loves you enough here everyone else seems to be getting the miracle you need it's like God have you have you overlooked me have you forgotten that I am I invisible to you and it's broken your heart this wrong belief is toxic it's not what Jesus is about at all sometimes in the waiting can be the hardest times for us to believe rightly about Jesus others here there's an impending sense of hopelessness you've almost conceded defeat and you live like a defeated believer you believe in Jesus but you're not living out your mandate of being more than a conqueror being victorious being an overcomer you live defeated saved but defeated tonight the Holy Spirit's readjusting again your right belief about him if that is you in all those three categories we're going to lift your hands Others here just saying, Jesus, would you just help me to believe rightly about you again? Please readjust. I don't know what you're going through right now, but God knows. God knows. And He needs a generation of believers that believe rightly about Him again. He didn't just call you into Christianity to give you eternal life. He came to give you an abundant life, which is that Zoe life right here and now. And if you're not walking in it tonight, it's because some area of your belief system about Him has been tainted by the enemy. Tonight, the Holy Spirit wants to reconnect you, realign and recalibrate you, Ocean's Church, to the vastness, the bigness, the ocean's deepness of His love for you. 
And so tonight, if that's you, I want you to step out of your seat and come up the front and worship with me. I know this is an odd thing for me to ask you to do. There's nothing magical about a geographical change in location, but I do believe that this is a, a night of breakthrough for so many people. I've had to answer so many of these altar calls in years gone by around the era of my son's disability and all these sort of things. But tonight, I want you to step out of your seat. Come, 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 come. I want to pray for you because so many of you tonight are going to leave with a readjusted, recalibrated, Holy Spirit-inspired belief about God afresh. Come, 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 come. Begin to lift your hands. Randy, lead us in the song. You are here. Thank you for listening to the Oceans Church podcast. For more information, visit oceans.church.